all or nothing goals tend to be goals that require us to sacrifice everything else. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. Being active is more important than ever, and that's why I am excited to introduce On, perhaps the best kept secret in the running world. I love these shoes. I have been buying them for four years, and I don't buy anything else. They were founded in 2010 in Zurich, Switzerland, and it's the fastest growing running brand globally. Their philosophy is that you should run how you were born to run. Instead of correcting your movement, on shoes react to your individual running motion. As I said, I love these shoes. I use them for trail running, for all uh, running on the streets, and just day-to-day wear. They are amazing. And on is offering our listeners an exclusive offer. Try the shoes or gear for up to 30 days commitment-free. Head to on-running.com slash feed and pick your favorite shoes and apparel items. Apply the code TRYONFEED at checkout to test your new products for 30 days. Love them, keep them. Not convinced? Send them back for a full refund. That's on-running.com slash feed and the promo code is TRYONFEED. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on this episode is Benjamin Shalva, who is back on the podcast for a second interview. Ben is the nationally renowned author of Ambition Addiction, How to Go Slow, Give Thanks, and Discover Joy Within. His previous book was Spiritual Cross Training, Searching Through Silence, Stretch, and Song. Ben has been published in the Washington Post, Elephant Journal, and Spirituality and Health Magazine. He's a rabbi, writer, meditation teacher, and yoga instructor. Shalva leads spiritual seminars and workshops throughout the world. And here's the interview with Benjamin Shalva. If you value the content we put out each week, then we need your help. As the show has grown, so have our expenses and time commitment. Go to oneufeed.net slash support and make a monthly donation. Our goal is to get to 5% of our listeners supporting the show. Please be part of the 5% that make a contribution and allow us to keep putting out these interviews and ideas. We really need your help to make the show sustainable and long-lasting. Again, that's oneufeed.net slash support. Thank you in advance for your help. Hi, Benjamin. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Eric. It's so great to be back. There's not very many guests who have made a second appearance, so you've joined some elite company at this point. Um, You've got another book out very quickly, which is why we're having you back, and I'm excited to get into the book. talks about ambition addiction, which is a question I ask myself often. 
about whether I fall into that category. And your book helped me sort some things out. So we'll get to that here in a second. But let's start like we always do with the parable. There's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson, and he says, In life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. Actually, I'm going to change it this week. I'm going to do it with turkeys because it's Thanksgiving. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> do it. Yeah. Go with it. That All sounds right. Good. There's a, how does it, I, no, I can't remember. There's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, In life, there are two turkeys inside of us <laughs> that are always at battle. One of them is a, uh, Good turkey, which represents things like love and bravery and peace. And the other is a bad turkey, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second. And he looks up at his grandfather and he says, well, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So I'd like to start off by asking you what that silly parable means to you in your life and in your work. I like it with the turkeys, first of all. <laughs> well, I'm probably going to release this in like March. People are going to be like, what on right, earth? Like, right, right, We're over the turkeys now, right? <laughs> but um, I feel like I've got turkey inside me, so it, it, it fits. But, but let me say that I'm struggling every day. You know, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be a good husband and father. And I'm trying to be an effective writer and teacher but it's a struggle. And the struggle is somewhat having to do with just sort of being skilled in those different endeavors um, and trying to figure out what to do in a given moment, you know, how, how to proceed. But actually, the, 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 the meat of the struggle is so much about um, my desire to be the best or the greatest or the most powerful or the sexiest or the most adored or the most admired. And that ego drive, for me, it's an every day, every hour, sometimes every minute practice of recognizing that ego and acknowledging it with a nod, but then stepping back and choosing a lighter path, a path of heart, a path of humility, and uh, going with the good turkey, um, is that struggle every day. I agree with that for sure. The book is called Ambition Addiction, How to Go Slow, Give Thanks, and Discover Joy Within. And I resonated with a lot of it, and we'll get to that a little bit, but I was really interested in the topic because as a former addict of uh, drugs and alcohol, I've certainly wondered at points if I haven't taken, whether it's ambition or work or, you know, what I do to be is it just become another addiction for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and your book helped me think through that. And so I'm looking forward to talking about that. But let's, let's start with what do you mean by ambition addiction? So um, I started figuring out this idea of ambition addiction because I noticed in my own life I was having these dreams of all-encompassing glory, kind of all-or-nothing fantasy of a you know, perfect future to come. For me, it took the shape of, you know, I want to be a critically acclaimed, world-renowned, best-selling writer, right? And so I had this dream in my head. And I began to see that, that a lot of times this dream was getting in the way of my physical health, my relationships, my spiritual well-being. And I began to see that, you know, while ambition can be a really wonderful 
essential part of being a healthy human being and doing good things in the world that that ambition can sometimes cross over the line and become destructive. And that's what I talk about when I say ambition addiction. It's that unrelenting drive to dominate, to win, to be the absolute best no matter the cost. And it's when that drive also leaves a lot of casualties in its wake in terms of personally and in terms of relationships and in terms of spiritual life. One of the things you talk about in the book is this idea of we live in this fantasy of any day now. What is that? Yeah. So any day now is the name that I've given to that dreams that, that dream that we have in our heads of the perfect Hollywood ending. Now, your any day now is going to be different than my any day now, and it's going to be different than uh, someone else's any day now. But what unites them all is the fact that when we have an any day now, we have this dream of a perfect ending where there's a little tableau, you know, and everyone's just in their place and we've won the final grand prize, you know, and we've uh, dominated and all the struggle is proven to lead us to this amazing end point. And the thing about an any day now is that it's uh, it's a mirage. So one of the difficult issues with ambition addiction is that a lot of us actually think that that mirage is real. You know, um, we imagine that like, oh, you, you know, if I actually do get that best-selling book and that, you know, Pulitzer Prize, that I'll be happy because that's the picture I have in my head. But in fact, it's not real because people with best-selling books and Pulitzer Prizes are not necessarily any happier than you or me. And we know that, of course, because they share that fact with us and they say, I'm still me. I'm still a regular person struggling. But our any day now, it leads us to believe that we will reach an end of suffering if we only, you know, uh, write that book or get that promotion or get our kids to Harvard or whatever it is that we're dreaming of. I agree with that. I also think, though, that any day now is more pervasive than just an ambition issue. I think it I think it crops up in a lot of the self-improvement things that we try and do, even if it's not to be the best meditator in the world. But if I meditate, if I, if I just get to the point where I meditate every single day and exercise every single day um, and read enough books, my any day now will be a day where it's easy and life is easy and it's not a challenge anymore. So I think it's interesting as we talk about this, because I see that also beyond just the type of ambition you're describing in the book. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. I think that we as human beings, we do tend to fantasy. We do tend to imagine, uh, you know, uh, a future that is an improvement on the present. Sometimes that actually can be a healthy thing if it Uh drives us to and motivates us to do good work in the world. I think that where I sort of specify ambition addiction is um, if that any day now of ours in whatever realm it is, if it starts to consume us so much that we, we mm-hmm. don't have any bandwidth for things like our physical health, for getting sleep, for eating well, for exercise, or yep. if we're ignoring our kids or our spouse or our friends, you know, that's when I think uh, it becomes something that where we need to recognize 
that we are suffering from an actual addiction and take the steps we need to, to recover. Let's talk about what an ambition addiction is, because you say in the book, and I, I believe it to be true, that some degree of ambition is is a good thing. I mean, I look at, I feel like built into the very fabric of existence is the desire for growth and creation and, and stretching. I feel like that's just you know, to me, there's a lot that's, it's a very spiritual thing. So there, you know, we're recognizing, hey, there's some degree of that that's good. How do you start to diagnose, has this gone too far with me? Am I, am I an addict? I mean, because it it seems like, you know, addiction is just, you know, a a good thing that is usually just taken way too far. Right, right. And it it can be hard to to differentiate. It's, I mean, I think when, when one starts to ask themselves, you know, is my amb- ambition going too far? It's it's it can be kind of nebulous figuring that out. So I've identified a number of of signs and symptoms that I've seen in my own life. I've seen in other ambition addicts, and I think these are things to look out for. And to name a couple that I think are very prevalent, one is a real contempt for the present and a reverence for the future. That's a big one. When you find yourself walking around seeing the present moment as just kind of a, you know, a DMV waiting room to get through so that you can get to get back on the highway, you know, and you're kind of ignoring all the gifts in in, in this present moment. That's a, that's a key sign. And along with that, another really important um, sign to look for is manic pace, you know, when ambition is driving us to always be fast and furious, always in a rush, impatient with other people, very, very busy all the time, you know, running into people in the grocery store and just being like, oh, sorry, I'm so sorry, I can't talk right now, I'm just in a rush, you know, and all, and finding ourselves doing that over and over again, that's another real sign. And just to talk about one more that I think is very important, a lot of ambition addicts suffer from a severity and depression. So a lot of us are on this, essentially this dopamine roller coaster, you know, um, every time we picture our any day now, neurons in our brain are transmitting a neurotransmitter called dopamine. And that gives us a real buzz. It gives us a high, but dopamine is, uh, connected with, often with with hope for the future. So every time that we don't get that any day now, that dopamine level then declines and we end up going into actual physical withdrawal. And so a lot of times ambition addicts are going to be very uh, forlorn, depressed, you know, uh, cranky, moody, and have a hard time enjoying and appreciating even very simple pleasures because, you know, they're always gritting their teeth. They're always have a furrowed brow and they're never really able to lighten up. Yeah. I identify with some of those things. A lot of those things you just said describe Chris and I can assure you he does not have an ambition addiction. No one has ever. No, that no one. No, this episode does not apply to him. We can feel, we can feel pretty, we can feel pretty confident in this one, but, but well, for hey, me, one less thing to worry about, yeah, right? <laughs> but for me, I recognize some of those things. What I thought was interesting is you listed out some of those symptoms and, and I have some degree of those at, at different points. What I thought you said, and I really like this, you said all addictive behaviors from alcoholism to workaholism to ambition addiction have two common traits. Addictive behaviors are persistent and counterproductive. And, and that was a different 
frame that I start, you know, when I started to look at it through that frame, I started to feel like maybe I was okay. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I start the book with is actually a diagnostic process based on that idea that, that, um, addictive behavior is something we do often and it's counterproductive. And what I do is I have the readers go through a diagnostic process. You know, they're kind of filling in worksheets, if you will, to really see when I work, when I work out, when I parent or, you know, whatever it is that I'm ambitious about, are my actions both persistent and counterproductive? And a lot of times what we're going to find is that, sure, I, my actions are persistent, but they're not necessarily counterproductive. They're not necessarily uh destructive or hurting other people or hurting, hurting myself. Um, and in that case, you know, that's terrific. That, that means that we're ambitious, uh, individuals with a healthy ambition within healthy boundaries. And that's something to celebrate. But then again, what I hope the book can help clarify for folks is, well, there are times, however, when my behaviors do become both persistent and counterproductive. And that, and those, and on those occasions, that's where I really need to be careful. And one of the ways that I help readers think about this too, is when you're thinking about your goals, one way to sort of get a sense of would my goal here be counterproductive or not is to think of it, think of it this way. Is my goal an all or nothing goal? If for instance, my goal is to become president of the United States, let's just say. Would I be satisfied if I also became a senator or a congressman or a, you know, uh, someone involved in civic affairs in a meaningful way? And if I, in my heart, say, no, I have to be number one or nothing at all, that's a real clear sign that that goal and that arena in my life is going to be counterproductive because all or nothing goals tend to be goals that require us to sacrifice everything else. is changing faster and faster today and there's so much uncertainty and one of the skills that we need to deal with it is to be able to learn things quickly and the best way i found to do that is blinkist blinkist is a unique and powerful app that works on your phone your tablet or your web browser and basically what they do is give you the best key takeaways the need to know information from over 3000 non-fiction bestsellers they condense them down into blinks, which you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. I've found it really helpful for me over the last few weeks to really get up to speed a lot more on racial issues in this country. They've got a ton of great books out there that you can look at, like The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, and so many more. And now they've got a special offer just for our audience. 
Go to Blinkist.com slash wolf to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off audiobooks that are yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash wolf to get 25% off a premium membership and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash wolf. The people who drive industries, entertainment, and culture shape our world every day in bold and dramatic ways. But did you ever wonder how they got there? Behind the Talent features in-depth conversations with people who identify and develop talent, the people who find the people that shape our world. Guests include big league sports scouts, rock star talent agents, and CIA officers. Uncovering the skills and challenges that unite them all is the job of host David Mead. He's an expert speaker and educator, and he brings his own curiosity and insights to each interview to expand our understanding of what it means to be a recruiter in today's world of work. Brought to you by Indeed.com, Behind the Talent is a must-listen for anyone interested in the secrets behind identifying talent and unlocking potential in individuals and organizations. Subscribe to Behind the Talent now, wherever you get your podcasts. We're not feeling too inspired for a clever bit right now about the donation campaign after we just <laughs> finished off a large pizza. <laughs> so uh, I'll I'm keep feeling super fired up. Super fired up. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really willing to ask for money right now, but I'm certainly willing to take a long nap. That's right. My job is to ask for the money. So I will. Please, if you are enjoying the show, if you're getting value out of the show, please go and make a donation at oneufeed.net slash support. One of the things to think about is that not only are you supporting the show for yourself, but you're also providing the show to other people. We're trying for 5% of our audience. We are less than half a 1% right now. So when you contribute right now, you are helping bring the show to lots and lots of other people, people who listen to it today and can't afford it. And I get emails from those people who say, I wish I could help and they can't. And also to all the people who have never yet heard the show. So you can be part of the show. You can help support it and do something good in the world at the same time by going to oneufeed.net slash support. We really need your help. Thank you. And here's the rest of the interview with Benjamin Shalva. You have a line that I really like where you say, the road to hell is not paved with good intentions. The road to hell is paved with unexamined intentions. And I just thought that sort of summarizes a lot of what we're talking about here very well in, you know, am I looking at what is, you know, what's behind what I'm doing? And, and I always believe for myself that most things that I do in life, it's difficult for me to have an entirely pure motive. I would be lying if I said that I did the show only to, you know, put messages of hope into the world, right? <laughs> right, right, of course. So, and to help other people, that's a big part of it. But there are also other parts of it, you know, ego works its way in or wanting to be successful or or all that stuff. And so I've gotten okay as as I've grown into saying, you know what, I'm not going to probably, you know, be pure as the driven snow on some of these things. But what I find to be really useful is to is to be able, like you say, to examine my intentions and look at which ones are driving and which ones are dominant. Exactly. It's not about uh, purging ourselves of ego. 
um, which would be impossible. It's it's not about uh, having 100% pure motives, as he said. You know, um, looking honestly at our lives is looking at ourselves warts and all, but then being able to make good choices with that knowledge. So, you know, example of that would be that, you know, I have a lot of ambition as a writer and teacher. And uh, when I write and teach during the day, you know, when my kids are at school. But the other day, I got an invitation from my son's teacher to join them on a field trip to Mount Vernon because we live here in the D.C. area. And so my first initial thought was, I can't do it. I'm, you know, I've got to work. I've got important writing. I've got important teaching. I've got preparations and things to do. So um, what I did then at that moment was I really stepped back and I, you know, and this is the idea of examining my intention. And I asked myself, uh, am I going to say no to chaperoning my son's field trip because there's essential work that needs to happen? And even though that work is connected with ego, that might be okay. Or am I doing it because I'm afraid? I'm afraid that if I do something like, you know, be the dad on the field trip that I'm going to lose my edge, lose the ground I've gained as a professional and, you know, be, you know, uh, end up, uh, you know, uh, suffering in obscurity. And so, you know, at that point I decided, look, I'm going to go on the field trip and you're going to check your phone the entire time and not pay any attention. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You know, I actually, I actually had to work on it as I was on the field yeah. trip, you know, put the phone away, uh -huh. be present, but that's the work we have to do. And again, it's not about having pure motives. It's about examining our motives and being really real with ourselves and saying, if this is just about ego, if this is just about, um, you know, my fears and insecurities, is that really the person I want to be? Is that who, where I want to act from my whole life? Or or can I bring in some, I guess I would say, more compassionate, hopeful motives also? Yeah, I think noticing the fear is, that's a really good one because I'll notice that in regards to the show. I'll see lots of other podcasts coming out or, mm -hmm. um, you know, the numbers will stay kind of just, you know, we're not really growing and I'll start mm -hmm. to get this little bit of fear. And that's the time for me that it's important to go back to what is the real intention for why I'm doing this. And it works so well for me to, to stop and go, oh, wait a minute, that's not what this is about. You know, I'm doing this for X, Y, and Z reasons, which you know, I'm reaping the benefits of and I've achieved and, and all that. And that helps me step out of the fear. So the fear for me is an indicator that I'm letting some of the bad turkey mm -hmm. slide in and, and take over more of my motivation. And what's so nice about that is what you just described was that you use that as an opportunity to refocus and recommit to those uh, essential goals that, that led you to create the show in the first place. And so one of the things that um, I encourage ambition addicts to do is not to quit their ambitious endeav endeavors or to, to not have goals or dreams, but in fact, to use this addiction as a, a motivator to actually become more committed to their goals and objectives, but in a healthier way, you know, because I do think that um, when that fear creeps in, it can actually definitely, you know, be an opportunity for us to commit to what's meaningful. I agree. So let's talk about the other side of it, which is 
getting better or recovering from ambition addiction or um, you know treating it what are some of the things that you recommend which by the way the things that you're going to talk about I think are useful even if you say well I'm, maybe I'm not an addict they still right. are pretty useful in the context of all of us in the modern human age where everybody sort of looks like one sometimes right and certainly our culture is encouraging right. this you yeah. know this unfettered ambition uh, in the midst of that, the road to recovery that I've laid out consists of five steps that have worked for me and that I've seen work for others who I've met, uh, you know, along different spiritual paths and in different communities and people I've worked with as a writer and teacher. And the first step, which is the hardest and the most essential is slowing down. So again, we ambition addicts, see the present moment as prelude and the future as salvation. So naturally we are going to rush because the faster we get to that future, <laughs> the better, right? Because right. that yep. Hollywood ending's waiting for us. Slowing down then is a huge change for us. And it involves what I recommend in the book is actually a mindfulness practice that involves uniting our breath with our actions and actually with a, a mantra that we can maintain um, mentally as well. And to that allows us to actually downshift and rediscover the present moment. Because I think what's happening to a lot of us is that we've actually lost touch with the very ground beneath our feet, with the very moment that we find ourselves in. And it actually is amazing a few deep mindful breaths, you know, a, a little bit of the slowing down work that I recommend and the mind and body and even the soul really shift. And, and there's a, there's a, a huge change and that can pave the way to the other steps that come after it. The start is definitely going slow. Yep. And the slow down, you use three words, breath, word, and deed. Can you walk us just real quickly through how to apply those? Absolutely. And Breath, word, and deed is a technique that can be practiced anywhere, anytime. So anytime you find yourself going fast and losing your breath and not having any time, this is a great practice. Here's what you do. Essentially, the first thing you do is to just notice your breath, breathing in and out. The next thing you do is you start to connect your breathing with your actions and with a narration in your head. So let's say that you're driving your car. So as you inhale, you would say to yourself, I am making a right turn. As you exhale, you'd say to yourself, this is all just thinking in your head, I am making a right turn. On your next inhale, you'd say, I'm straighten out, straightening, straightening out the car. On your exhale, you'd say, I'm stopping at a stop sign and on and on. So you can do this with any activity. You know, if you're, you can do this while you're lifting weights or you can do this in, you know, while having coffee with a friend, whatever it is. Um, and what this does is because you're narrating what you're doing in your head, you've got this like kind of golf style announcer saying, you know, and now he's making a right turn. And now he's, you know, <laughs> and as that, as that narrator is, is narrating what's happening in your head, and as you're connecting it with your breath, and each time you breathe, you're, you're, you're reciting what you're doing, what ends up happening is you can't help but slow down. 
because you're not giving your brain room to be able to think, uh, got to get home so I can, so I can write that next thing so I can win that award so that I can get that promotion so that I, you know, the brain has already been narrating other things and they all have to do with ambition. And once we do this breath word and deed, the brain suddenly gets consumed with, I am making a right turn. I am tying my shoes or whatever it is. And it slows us down. And what's so key about that too, is that once you've practiced breath word and deed, and you start slowing yourself down, it actually gives your body time to absorb a lot of the adrenaline and cortisol and other stress hormones that have probably been flowing through your body up until this point. Because a lot of us, when we're moving this fast, we're in constant fight or flight, constantly, you know, essentially in a high stress situation physically. And when we slow down, our nervous system gets the cue and says, okay, hey, uh, you know, endocrine system, time to reabsorb these stress hormones. And we can, we can, we can downshift from DEFCON 5 here. You know, we're okay. And what's amazing about that then is that uh, once our body starts to downshift, it gives us a lot of space to relax, to appreciate, to notice details that we'd otherwise miss, and to not feel so frantic and panicked, which is going to give us, allow us to then keep moving forward in, in a healthier pace. I agree. The breath word indeed is a great method. And just anything that we can find that for me, that when I come back to truly to the present moment, which is just noticing what's happening around me in as great a detail as I can, it, it that is the best way I've found to kind of come out of a very anxious or um, driven state is to just kind of become present for a little bit of time. There, there seems to be some peace there. It's challenging to stay there, but there's certainly some peace there. Yeah. And I recommend to readers that when they're practicing this, it's going to be challenging and that they don't need to do it, you know, all day, every day. And if they want to start with maybe doing, you know, five minutes of breath word and deed practice when they notice themselves rushing and then they can kind of let it go for a while and come back to it. And it's like anything else. It's something that we're that 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 should become ideally a daily practice, but but something that uh, doesn't drive us nuts, you know, um, and is something that ultimately will become a tool that we can turn to when we feel that heightened state of anxiety. I love Perfect Bars. I've talked about them before on here, how much I love them, how many of them I've eaten, which is an extraordinary number. But there's not just Perfect Bars. The company, Perfect Snacks, make a variety of products like protein bars, peanut butter cups, and kids snack bars. And they're all made with freshly ground nut butter, organic honey, and 20 organic superfoods. You're sure to find something that you'll love. Of course, my favorite is the standard Perfect Bar dark chocolate, 
chip peanut butter, although their peanut butter cups are amazing too, and you keep them in the fridge and so they're cold. If you're not already convinced, they're also non-GMO, project verified, they're gluten-free, they're soy-free, they're kosher, and they're low GI, and they are delicious. So right now, Perfect Snacks is offering 15% off your online order. Just go to perfectsnacks.com slash wolf. Shop their refrigerated snacks at perfectsnacks.com slash wolf today to get 15% off your order. We want you to be prepared for snack time. So go to perfectsnacks.com slash wolf to stock up and save 15%. You've got several other approaches. Let's maybe hit one or two of them before we wrap up. Right. So slowing down is a key step. Another key step is giving thanks, which, hey, if we're coming on to Turkey Day, I got to mention that one. <laughs> yep. So giving thanks is essential because one of the things that happens to us ambition addicts is that we are constantly feeling disappointed because again, you know, our any day now is so grandiose. So we're never going to get there. Or even if we get there, we realize that it's not even the end point. We want even more. So because of that, we're so disappointed. The practice of giving thanks, of creating a gratitude practice. And I walk through in the book how readers can actually create their own gratitude practice that respects their own background in terms of religion, spirituality, secularity, um, style, you know, I help folks put it together authentically for themselves. But what this does, when we give thanks, we again are appreciating the present moment and we're also declaring that this day now, not any day now, but this day now has a lot of blessing and a lot of enjoyment and is a wonderful place to be. And that's something that uh, when ambition is really going crazy, we convince ourselves otherwise. But in fact, when we slow down and take a look around, we have lots to be thankful for. Indeed we do. Let me ask you a question about gratitude, because one of the things that I have experienced is there are times that the gratitude feels like going through the motions. Um, you know, I'm doing it every day and I list out things that I'm grateful for. And sometimes I really feel that. And other times I feel like I'm making a list or how do you work to keep that fresh for yourself? Well, the first thing I think is that there is going to be at the beginning, a feeling of going through the motions. And I don't think that should deter us so much. Part of this practice is starting to rewire our brains, you know, and, and, and so there is going to be some time as we're transitioning out of this any day now mindset to a this day now appreciation, there are going to be times when we're like, ah, you know, I'm saying I'm thankful for my family, for my friends, for the roof over my head, you know, but, but, but God, I just really wish I could, I could have a million dollars too, you know? And, um, and that's, you know, going to happen. And I actually think going through the motions is not the worst thing at the beginning, because again, we're, we're, you know, we're trying to reverse this momentum here. Eventually though, what I really encourage, and I talk through how to do this in the book is, is to create a gratitude practice that's very flexible so that we have a certain 
way that we begin. Maybe we say, you know, thank you, God, for my life, or thank you, universe, for being able to wake up this morning. And maybe we start the same way every day, but then we let it meander and we can actually start to notice things in the midst of our gratitude practice. Maybe we just look around and say, thank you for that beautiful painting on the wall, or thank you for the sunrise, or it starts to become a little more dynamic, organic, um, and flexible as opposed to just a fixed liturgy that we're doing every single day. I think that can really help. And I, and I do teach folks how to start to make that happen for themselves. The other word that I like for a gratitude practice, and you just used it in one of the sentences there, is appreciation, is to not only think of like the things you traditionally think you're grateful for, like that I have a home and I have a job and, you know, I have friends and, but what can I appreciate that's happening in the moment or happened in the moment, whether it be a delicious cup of coffee or a sunrise or a, you know, it's, and to me, appreciation seems like a, um, another way to frame it in my mind that helps me to to look at it a little bit with a wider lens. Yeah, absolutely. And it's okay for us to give thanks for very mundane things, you know, like, I mean, I, I found myself, uh, one time giving thanks for Judd Apatow movies, you know, because I was just like, God, that guy's good. And every time I see one of his films, I just like feel better. So I was like, you know what? I got this gratitude practice. I'm going to give thanks for Judd Apatow. So there we go. And, you know, and the thing is like, that's, totally authentic and appropriate. And it actually helps in terms of my feeling in my life, what to be grateful for. And again, it totally counteracts this idea that any day now is all, is all there is because, you know, Judd Apatow's this is 40 is right here right now. So, you know, (laughs) there you go, Judd, shout out for you. But like, I really, I really think give thanks for whatever, you know, give thanks for for your favorite hockey team, if if that's something that you're thankful for, let it be a part of this practice. Yeah, various musicians make my list uh, all mm-hmm. the time. Calvin yeah. and Hobbes has made many yes. <laughs> many appearances. Um, nice, you know Leonard Cohen, who's recently passed, is a is a common feature. Absolutely. So let's hit one more of the five steps that you think are useful. Yeah, I think the you other get one. To pick. Yeah, thank you. I, I think I'd, I'd love to mention the step of donate time. So we've slowed down, we're giving thanks, and uh, we still have ambition, though. We still have this drive. We still have these goals. And again, that's not that they're, they're, it's wrong to have goals or ambition. But one of the things that happens with ambition addiction is that we tend to really sequester our time to focus it only or primarily on individuals that can get us ahead. Um, And I've certainly seen that in my own life. You know, when I'm in a writing project, I do not want my kids bothering me. I don't, you know, even want to hear about my wife and her crazy stories from work or whatever it is, you know, I'm focused on my dreams. So one of the things that I recommend, we have a practice of, and, and actually of charting down in a given day, who do we normally interact with? And are there people that we normally interact with from whom we're withholding our time? So, and that could even be a pet, you know, I've got a, I've got a puppy that's always wanting me to take her for a walk. And, you know, when I'm in a big project, I, you know, try to, try to just, just have her get as far from me as, 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 as she can. And so whatever it is, when we practice donating time, we, we chart 
where we're spending our time. Are there individuals who we're ignoring or or not giving much time at all to? And then we make a practice of step-by-step, maybe even if it's an extra five minutes the next day, donating our time to those individuals, maybe one or two of them, uh, who can't get us ahead towards our any day now, but for whom we, but, but for who we, we care about or we respect, or at least we feel deserves a little time and attention. It's a beautiful sentence to wrap up on. I think, I don't think I could say it much better. Although this whole conversation has been making me think of a Bertrand Russell quote, because you talk about how serious and, and focused the ambition addict can be. And it's a quote I love, which is one of the symptoms of an approaching nervous breakdown is the belief that one's work is terribly important. <laughs> That's so good. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Thank you for sharing that with me. I yeah. hadn't heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come on again. Thanks. You know, congratulations on another book in a, a you know, pretty quick turnaround. So, um, well, I'm, a, I'm an ambitious guy. You know? we, <laughs> we've, we've figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Uh, but thanks so much for having me too. It's yeah. been really, really lovely. We'll have links to the to the books and all that stuff in the show notes and to your website. And yep, thanks again for coming on. I loved our first conversation. I've really enjoyed this one also. And um, could you make a turkey sound for us on the way out? I've never asked a guest to do that <laughs> oh before. Gosh, Skip it. No, yeah, I'm thinking no, that's chicken, in, but uh, that's inappropriate. You know. Yeah, no. <laughs> How was that? Perfect. All right, that's being a good sport. All, all right, right thanks. Ben. That's thanks so much. Idea. Take care. Bye. You can learn more about Benjamin Shalva and this podcast at oneufeed.net slash Benjamin2. If what you just heard was helpful to you, please consider making a donation to the One You Feed podcast. Head over to oneufeed.net slash support.